Welcome to Center of Attention, the podcast. My name is Seth Everett. Normally, we do this show with either a former NBA player, Tom Thomas, or a host of other great broadcasters, including David Moulton from Fox Sports Florida, Jay Mariotti, longtime columnist and broadcaster, and many, many more. This podcast comes from a Twitch show. We do the show Monday through Friday live, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll take the episodes that we do online and turn them into this podcast. You can download this podcast at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you can find podcasts, but you can see the show live and on archive by going to the Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Seth Everett. And if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, you can subscribe to the channel for free. That's right. Just link your Amazon Prime and a Twitch account, and suddenly you can subscribe to one channel and not pay a penny for it. You subscribe for free, and we get the subscription. Go to www.twitch.tv slash Seth Everett for more information. Now enjoy this episode of Center of Attention. And just like that, we're back. We're back. We're back. Were you worried? Was I worried? I wasn't worried. He said he was going to be there. He was there. We figured it out. How are (laughs) everybody? (laughs) What's going on with you, sir? What's going on? I'm going to. How was the weekend? Good weekend. Uh, Daughter's birthday. She turned 12. Ah, big 12. And I quoted a Paul Simon song in a post that I did for her. And I got a like, so that was nice. That's cool. I didn't write something sappy. I took a line from a song and somebody thought I wrote it. And that was really nice. (laughs) <laughs> right like paul simon i just love the faith that you have in me yeah sometimes i get sappy i do with the kids birthdays because i start reflecting and i'm That's looking true. at the memories yeah, yeah i get sappy i do guilty as charged I felt it and uh we didn't go anywhere we didn't do anything we found out there's a 9-11 memorial literally mm. right by our house we never knew and really? it's on a high up, and you can see the skyline. It's actually parallel to the World Trade Center. Oh, okay. So pretty, pretty cool. And uh, I saw, you know, I lost a couple people there. So I saw their names. I took their pictures, and I, I texted them to their right. spouses, widows, you know, widowers, whatever, whatever the word is. And right. so that was, uh, that was rewarding. That's and, cool. Um, but we couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> Can't do anything. Couldn't take her yeah. to, you know. So yeah. it, just, it stinks. The whole thing stinks. The whole thing, huh? You're done with all of it. <laughs> Before we get to sports, I just, uh, you know, because you have been very well documented that you're saying your kids are only going to be learning virtually. Yes. You have said that. And yes. I've never asked you this, and I just, because it came up in conversation, not, mm-hmm. didn't come up in conversation like we weren't talking about you, but it was part of a conversation. Do your kids do public or private school? Uh, well, they've been homeschooled. So remember, I schooled the whole way. Yeah, we've been homeschooling pre-pandemic for five years. We've been homeschooling for five years now. Wow, I didn't know. Okay, so that that we had that conversation, Seth. We have long time ago. Yeah, that this is when we first started, though. So a lot has happened since then. A lot has happened. I'll I'll give you a break, but yeah, we've been homeschooling for five years. So this year was going to be the first year that Malcolm went to regular school. He was going to go to high school. Was he going to? Okay, so, so then you can fit the discussion because yeah, private yeah. schools are beating to their own drum. Yes, they are. And that is something I'm interested in because 
my kids go to public school. We have one of the best public school systems in New Jersey. So, and I'm a big fan of public school for a lot of reasons. So, um, they asked us to fill out a questionnaire, not a commitment, but a questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Right. What's, what's your feeling on the two plans, the mm-hmm. hybrid or the stay at home? Mm-hmm. And I don't like the way numbers are going. I, you know, New Jersey's spiking. Mm-hmm. Now, still, they're still low. I mean, still incredibly low. But it's still, it's still going up to from where it was before. Yeah. And if you're going up in August, what's it going to be in September? What's going to be in October? Like, you know, yeah. like you can't, can't go backwards. So we filled well, it out. And I said, as of if, if, it, if school was today, they'd be right. Virtual. They'd be all virtual. Yeah. Well, you know, so, so my son, Malcolm, he was, he's, this would have been his first year going to, you know, high school. He was all excited to go, um, ready to start soccer in the fall and, you know, start basketball going in. They're one of the only places that encourage two sports because a lot of places want you to just do one sport. I mean, we had that conversation. I was like, they want yes, you to yes, one right. or the other and he likes both and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, no, I talked to the school. I talked and I was in they, they, they're, what they're doing is they're giving, they're surveying parents and giving you, giving you the option. Which one would you rather do? Would you rather do virtual or would you rather do in person? And it's like broken up. So like freshmen go um, Mondays, you know, junior, something like that. Um, and it's interesting because all of the public schools in this area, this county, Prince George's County and Montgomery County and all these different are all going all virtual. Like, it's not even a question. They made that announcement, like, about a month Maryland's ago. Maryland's numbers are higher than Jersey's. Oh, Maryland's numbers are through the roof. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, they're not Florida through the roof, but they're they're very high. They're not Florida. Um, they're not Florida. But it, it, right. But it's interesting. I like saying that. They're not Florida. I know, right. Not, not that bad, but, you know. But, but it's interesting, and I want to ask you this. Do you think that part of the reason why private schools are are trying to still push for figuring out a way to do in-person class is similar to the reason why a lot of universities are also pushing to try to figure out a way because they want to justify being able to charge people the tuition that they're charging them. That's what I think it is. That's exactly what I think it is. But that's the only reason, like no other reason except for that. It has to be the only reason. And, you know, that was option C was I'm opting out of the public school district. Like that was option C. Uh, and I know a lot of people who are doing that, including my sister. So I, I, I understand. My point for the whole thing is, is that in private schools, mm-hmm. they have a tuition to justify. Whereas in public schools, you're paying the taxes anyway. Right. I'll give a shout out. And I'm, I actually wanted to get her on my daughter's middle school principal. I'm going to ask her to come on. That'd be cool. Because we walk our dog every day. Well, yeah. I do it one out of every seven days. Okay. <laughs> but we, but yeah, we, the collective team. I got you. Ustedes, it's the collective us. Uh, the, right, uh, right. I got you. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, they see her every day uh-huh. in the building. Every day. It's July. We don't have school for another month. And it's been a month of She's been there every day. They're they're planning and setting up. They're not doing freshman one day sophomores. They're doing A and B because it's the teachers. And I think the teachers need are going to demand raises. 
and so many teachers, and this is so not a sports conversation, but I think teachers are going to demand more money. And they should. They got to teach everything twice. They should definitely demand more money, you know, and I, and I have, you know, both of us, you know, my, my mother is a teacher for decades and different, you know, but the way that they are now, because depending on what the city or the, the, the public school system decides, they either have to come to work and risk right. their lives right. or they, well, my mother's retired technically, right. uh, you know what I mean? Retired. Does she sub? So, yeah. Does she sub? I, don't, I don't remember. Does she sub? Cause my mom subs. Yeah, she subs, and she subs. But what turns into like, okay, a a a a lady goes on maternity leaves, and she becomes a permanent sub. You know what I mean? Like that's happened a lot of times. So it's it's the same as regular teaching. She just I don't know that it's just semantics. But you know, she said, "Well, no, I'm not coming in at all." But both the public schools, they're trying to have teachers come in, and they're and my my next door neighbor who, uh, you know, I almost went to prison for. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I bust her chops. Um, she graduated from university uh, in May and in education, and she wants to be a teacher. Okay. She's getting interviews and job ops from every place in this area because mm. people in their 50s and 60s are retiring. They're not waiting for the pensions to be fully vested. That's the reason why people stay on as teachers for as long as they do. Is yeah. You get your pension fully vested. Of course. And I, I, I mean, she's gonna, she's got, she's got sixth grade math here and fifth grade this and this goes this because she wants to be junior high or high school and she's twenty two and God bless her. Could yeah. you imagine having a twenty two year old teacher when you're sixteen? <laughs> no, that, that doesn't even sound good. <laughs> sounds like Mary Kay Turner waiting to happen. Yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. Like that reference, Mary Kay Turner. <laughs> uh, okay, so sports. All right, what we got? Well, the craziest story by a million is Ioannis mm-hmm. Cespedes. Break it down to what happened. Break it down. Yes, so please. Saturday, the, the Mets play the Braves. They're in Atlanta. You know, Lou Williams' favorite place. and they're in atlanta the next day there's a bus the sunday bus and i know this because i work for that team is usually Uh a little later so it's probably a 10 o'clock bus for a one o'clock game because they probably cancel bp so they'll probably do a 10 o'clock bus he's not on the bus now if you miss the bus that's not a fine it's not a it's not a like a, a finable offense in normal times but i have to think in COVID times, that's a big deal. I think it's a fine either way, but it's just a bigger deal. Because I know for, for the NBA. No, 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 but, I, but, but I, I saw guys miss the bus and they got a cab and they were at the park within five they, minutes. No fine. No, no question, but they still received the fine. Oh, I, I don't know if in yeah. baseball. I, I don't no, that's not worse than the NBA. You, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. they missed the bus and he's not on the bus and he's not in the lineup and he's not at the ballpark and that's on social mm-hmm. media. You know, all the people are tweeting that he's not at the ballpark. And immediately, the rumor becomes he has COVID. Like, that's where it immediately goes. (laughs) And in the book, and I texted you a picture, if you want that PR person to come on, this would be a fun thing to talk to a PR expert about. Because in the rules of PR, you don't do this. They issued a statement in the third inning of that game yesterday that said... 
we have no idea where we where he is. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you don't that's do no good at all. That's not good. That's that's terrible PR. And that happens, and now everything is pray for Cespedes because now everybody thinks he's dead. And not like, only literally, they think, like, literally thinks he's dead. They think he's dead. They they it wasn't joking. Like they, they thought he was dead. And it was really funny because this this part's funny is I immediately put my TV on the Mets game. Now, I oh, hate yeah. the Mets with a fiery passion. For you, me you to saw. put on SNY, that's like me putting on Fox News. Like, right. like, and, and I'm watching it because I want to see if there's any breaking news. Right. If he died, like, that's that that's a massive story. Like, mm-hmm. and it's in Atlanta, and that's all I'm thinking about is that's where the Marlins got 18 cases, and that's where the the Lou Williams happened. Like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, right. I'm, I'm I'm thinking of all that, and I'm watching right. this, and it is a physical form of torture to watch the Mets baseball promos. That's a good form of torture. That, that, that's, that's, that's pretty strong language there, Seth, but okay. Someone in a bubble sport, please play. <laughs> anyway, so then they put out another announcement that uh-huh. said he uh, he's safe, but they don't know where he is. He's safe, but they don't know where he is. And how do they know he's safe? Uh, they don't know. The game ends, and I, I, I didn't watch for more than 10 minutes. I, that's, mm-hmm. that's, a form. That, that's, not, that's not for me. But mm-hmm. after the game, they announced that he opted out because of COVID. And the way the story has come out is that in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. Joanna Cespedes packed a suitcase because, you know, you get those suitcases for the road. They right. have the team logo and everything. And right. he wheeled it out, and no one was watching because, again, there's no isolation here. There's no bubble. And he got in an Uber and took off. And no one knows if he had a private jet waiting. No one knows. Guys made $22 million. No one knows. And he, t- he took off, but he, he opted out. And that's how he chose to opt out. In the most gutless, stupid, awful <laughs> way you can opt out. Because no one begrudges the opinion. I, I want all of them to opt out. Right. I don't. Right. I, this is crazy. But yeah. for him to just disappear. Do it that way. Yeah, you don't do it that way. And then this Not is. Not like that. So, the, so then, then I wanted to bring this to the, to the table here. And okay. that is, so I had to run an errand. Oh, I was picking up dinner. Uh, my daughter's birthday dinner. So I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Benny Hanna. And I'm going okay. to do takeout at Benihana, which I'd never done before. And I'm okay. driving there, and my phone needed to be restarted. Okay. Something was going on with my phone, and I needed to restart it. So I have to listen to the radio. I do not listen to live radio. Not at all. Unless I'm on it. I don't mm-hmm. listen to it. Okay. Like, I listen to only podcasts and music. That's it. Okay. And But I had the radio, and it's Al in the Bronx. And this is the part of radio that I can't do anymore. And that's the godforsaken callers. The callers are just, uh, they're, they're subhuman. They're so stupid. subhuman. <laughs> Here's what the caller says. The caller says, the caller says, I just want to say that Cespedes, he's hitting 158. If he's hitting 320 and the Mets, instead of being three and seven or seven and three, he doesn't opt out. He opt out because he stinks. And, and the host agreed with him. He agreed with him? I was like, what? I said, how is that possible? If, 
if we're not saying that this is happening because of a pandemic going on, this is yeah. not because of his godforsaken batting average. Yeah. Oh my God! It was the wor- It was the most egregious story and worst tale, worst story I had seen uh, of the weekend. And there's a, yeah. a bunch of doozies, but man, that's a bad one. No, that's pretty bad. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals had four positive tests on Saturday, and their game Friday they had one positive test. Their game Friday was postponed. Then their game Saturday was postponed. Then they had a doubleheader schedule for Sunday, and that was postponed. Wow. And they so and and Jeff Passan reports, and I didn't see the report uh, updated, but as of about nine a.m., they're saying there's more. They were just putting the numbers together. That's no good. That's no good at all. No, <laughs> no, no. So that's that's crazy. That's cr- it, it, it. It it was. I just I and then Rob Manfred on Friday came out and said to the players association, "Your players better shape up here because they're not following protocols, and, now- and they're not doing it, and they're putting the sport at, at great risk." And here's my argument: You're not enforcing any of your rules, so shut up. Yeah, I mean that's that's him saying that. You know, I, it's because because I also saw something where he was saying no. He was making the case where you know sports needs baseball. I mean, the, the world needs baseball, and we, we can't. You know, he was doing that whole thing, and it's to say it's if you set up something where you give people the opportunity to be successful in it, then that's one thing. But your system is not good from the beginning. So to put it all on the players and say, well, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, I was like, well, hold up now. Your, your system isn't good in the first place here. You kind of, you know, it's set up to fail. So, you know, that's 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 a tough one. Yeah, it just it, it was. And it, it it's it, it was just bad. It was it was just bad. Then uh, we saw uh, two quarterbacks go on the COVID-19 reserve list. So that's not the injured list. That's the COVID-19 reserve list in the NFL. Matthew Stafford, the quarterback of the Detroit Lions. Okay. And I'm surprised this is not a bigger story. And I, I think I know why, but we'll, we'll discuss. Um, and Gardner Minshew. Now, I love saying that name because, remember, he's the dude with the porn stash that took over um midseason last year and like won five straight games and everyone was buying t-shirts with his name and his mustache was becoming a logo and it was all the rave in jacksonville and i like gardner mitchell he seems like a good sport about the whole thing um, right. but the covid19 reserve list does not mean you test positive right it means you may be exposed to somebody who has yep so you have to isolate and you have to take a bunch of negative tests uh, but two quarterbacks. And then the Philadelphia Eagles announced last night that their head coach, Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning coach, has tested positive and is asymptomatic. But he's a I, I got to say he's in his 50s. And he has it. Yeah. And that's the that's the. And this is, this is barely scratching the surface. Like, I, I, I just. If the Cardinal, if, if baseball is, and, and we talked about this off air, but and I'll transition to football this way. The idea that all these teams in baseball are following the rules to the extent. The Marlins, it has been rec- uncovered, 
But right. the Marlins didn't go out to the same Lou Williams Magic City nightclub. They didn't. They didn't. They so they broke protocols, but they didn't do it in a irresponsible way. It was what I had heard. Remember, I talked to you that one day, and I said I talked to a Marlins official and said these guys are following the rules. They don't know how this is happening. Yeah. The theory is, is one of their players grew up with one of the two catchers that tested positive on the Braves during the exhibition time, and they hugged. They forgot, and, that, and they hugged. That's all, it took. all it took. That's all it took. And so for me, if that's the case, how does football survive? Because if you can get it that easily, the two things with football is, if you can get it that easily and then you go to practice and you are told to tackle people, right? At least in baseball, you're you're spreading it by high fiving yeah. and the occasional play at the plate, like so such little actual contact. Whereas in football, it's constant contact. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. Do you remember uh, uh, Bartman? Bartman. Do you remember oh, yeah. uh, in 03, It was a thirty for thirty about this. Um, Bartman was the the fan. The Cubs are playing the Marlins and the, at Wrigley Field, and the fan interfered with Moises Alou trying to catch the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Cubs, remember, remember Bartman? Mm-hmm. <laughs> at Seattle's T-Mobile Park, and I'm putting this on the screen, at, at Seattle's T-Mobile Park, uh, there is a cardboard cutout of Steve Bartman. Somebody paid 80 bucks and put his picture on there, and so it's down the left field wall in Seattle, they have that guy from that night <laughs> that's funny that's funny that's funny that's um funny. the argument for the nfl has been you know let's let's get underway like they're barely they're nobody's wearing pads yet they're still doing mostly virtual stuff they haven't really started and all i'm wondering is how in the god's how on god's green earth is this happening i don't see it i don't i don't see it i don't see it uh, well, and that's not that's not just trying to be negative just logistically I, I don't see how this is going to work yeah i can't imagine i can't imagine right. uh to that end uh now to the bubbles which bubble yeah. you want to do first you uh, first you want to do hockey first let's do hockey let's do hockey. hockey and basketball are doing something very different to start Okay. Because what basketball is doing is they're doing a, a series of play. their series of regular season games where the teams that are there have a chance or are in the playoffs. Okay. Okay. So mm-hmm. what you're seeing, like the Wizards who lost, and the Wizards don't have their two best scorers, they lost, and now it's going to be a tall order, but they're going to play the rest of their games. Right? But it's essentially regular season stuff. Like that. that's... That's what the schedule is. It's a hybrid of the regular, regular season. Am I correct? Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Hockey's doing it differently. They're saying that if you are in your conference, one through four, seated one through four, you get essentially a bye. And the games you're playing in a round-robin format, you're playing one. So if you're one, you play two, three, and four. If you're, you're two, you play one, three, and four. Like, they all play each other, and that's just to determine seating for one, two, three, and four. Okay. okay. Five, six, seven, eight have to play nine, 10, 11, 12 in a best of five. 
Okay. So five plays 12, six plays 11, seven plays 10, eight plays nine. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. But in essence, that's a playoff series. Right. Okay. The first minute, and I am not knocking the NBA when I say this, the mm-hmm. first minute that they put that puck on the ice, it was playoffs. And it was intense. And the hitting was insane. And the competition was fierce. And there was a game, and all I say is watch the highlights of the Colorado Avalanche win when they had an actual buzzer beater because the puck crossed the red line with .3 seconds remaining. And intensity like you would not believe because those are playoff series. Now, they're extra playoff series, so it's not the first round. It's kind of like the play-in round, but it's a three out of five. So these teams are going to see each other, and you know what happens from playing in a, in a series. You start to hate each other. And so it's just going to get better and better and better and better. So what the, what the NHL did was they declared the regular season over, whereas the NBA didn't. And so you're saying that the intensity level was um, on a different through the roof in in the NHL as opposed to the NBA. The basketball looked like I told you the basketball looks it looked weird. And we did the watch party. And by the way, 215 people. Thank you very much. 215 people on a for our first time. That's pretty good. That's good. Um, But but it looked like. Barely regular season ball. Like the criticisms were that it just didn't have a feel to it. It looked a little sloppy. It didn't have the most intensity. The final minutes were pretty good of the Lakers Clippers game that we saw. And those right. are the teams that are favored to, to, to go to the Western Conference final. But I, 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 I think what they're doing is they're, it's almost like a soft launch, whereas hockey's doing a holy crap. And I didn't think about it that way because my brain had just done the watch party. And Saturday afternoon they played, and it and it's like, and a guy slams a guy into the and like that you don't even see that in the regular season. And well, I'm like, I, I, holy moly, this is intense. And Twitter went bananas in yeah. like, holy crap, can we do this all the time? There's actually a movement online to cut the regular season to sixty games and add this round of playoffs. Well, I have to. I gotta say, you know, watching the the NBA games in particular, um, I gotta say the intensity was kind of through the roof as well. I mean, I thought it was a little bit more through the roof than I expected it to be. Okay. Um, I watched Houston play Milwaukee last night, okay. and it was a terrific game down to the wire. Russell Westbrook and James Harden are like this dynamic duo now, and they're scoring through the roof and. The Houston won at the end. I watched the game before that where Houston played um, – they played Dallas. So it was really building up the Luka against um, Harden. And James Harden had 49 points. Like, and it was just – it was like – it was amazing. Then I watched Then I watched Toronto play the Lakers, right? And Toronto put on a clinic. Now, this is Toronto without Kawhi Leonard. They don't have Kawhi Leonard anymore. They're the defending champ, but there's no Kawhi Leonard. When I tell you they had they had the Lakers running all over the court, it was beautiful basketball. It was like seven passes, everybody touched the ball, and then you got a wide open three, and they was giving them the business. It was really, you know, it, I would say what NBA has 
far exceeded my expectations. Even the weird screens that were all over the place. You started to get used to them now because they added more. You're looking in there and seeing who pops up. Dirk Nowitzki's uh, popped up when against the Dallas game. You saw, you know, different people. You're like, hey, that's somebody in the crowd. So they're they're adding to it. I think, but as a whole, I would say the NHL and the NBA, they're doing it right. It's not even a comparison. Like, they're they're doing it great. And the best part about these bubbles is now you have to play games staggered. So on a Monday afternoon, Monday afternoon, (laughs) five minutes ago, they tipped off Toronto at Miami. Well, versus Miami. Oh, really? And in the hockey, yeah, 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 the right. Rangers are in Carolina are playing, and there's 4-17 left in the second period, and the Hurricanes lead the Rangers 3-1. to Right. And if the Rangers lose, they'll go down 2-0, and they'll face elimination. And again, if you face elimination, you're out of the bubble. You know, no. if you get eliminated, you're out of the bubble. So Carolina is up. They're up one game to nothing in their best of five series, and Carolina's winning 3-1. to uh, in that, and then at two thirty, Winnipeg, Calgary, and again, like I'm not asking people in America to watch Winnipeg, Calgary, but we went from having no sports to there's that yeah. all afternoon, and then there's a full night of baseball, of actual scheduled games that haven't been canceled yet. Yeah, yeah. It, whatever your your drug of choice is, whether it's the PGA, there was PGA this weekend, there was auto racing this weekend. Right. I did sports updates that were packed. But I don't. But I don't see the NFL or the MLB as being successful. I do I not. I, I don't disagree. I, I'm having trouble with it. I'm having so much trouble with the NFL because I mean, I we had our meeting. Oh, I haven't talked to you. We had our big meeting with the Jets, uh-huh. and they basically said we're not coming to uh, training camp at all. Like everything is on Zoom, which I'm fine with. Right. I'm totally fine with. All you know, I said, and I told you this, is all I said is I don't want to favor one media outlet over another. If, yeah. it's, if you're doing them on Zoom, then have everybody go to Zoom. That That's fine. And they agreed. The Jets were great. The Jets did a – Jared Winley uh, and the New York Jets organization did a great, great job uh, dealing with us at Sports Illustrated. And, uh, yeah. You know, I saw, you know, we're going to have Howard Beck from the Bleacher Report come on um, at the top of the hour, but I, I don't – about this this um, article that I just read in the Bleacher Report about um, Odell Beckham Jr. And he said that the NFL should cancel the season because they don't see us as human. And that's a that's a bold. That's like me saying that watching Mets games is torture. It's a little extreme. I mean, it's extreme, but I mean, you it's a little bit extreme. That's a little bit extreme. extreme. But the safety met. But I can understand why he's saying it, though. Are the safety measures where they should be? And like, if an MLB player said that, yeah, it would be extreme, but I would understand why he said it because the safety measures are not where they should be during a time like this. Well, so I get it. Well, the thing with the, the, the NFL, for those of you who are not up to speed, they test every day and the, you have to have uh, two consecutive tests just to get in the building the first day. First mm-hmm. time, you cannot come in until you get two positive tests. They have right. this COVID-19 reserve list if you test positive or if you know somebody. And that's an honor system. Like if it's your family member and you're living with them, you have to tell. You have to tell somebody. But the right. thing with the testing is it doesn't show up right away. Mm-hmm. So 
if I'm infected from my Benihana trip last night, which I never got out of my car, but still not the point. If yeah. I got infected, I could show up, and if I had to take a test in order to do this show, I would probably test negative. Okay. But I have it, and if you and I are in the same room, again, let's just play the scenario out. If you and I are in the same room, and we're high-fiving and fist-bumping and doing all those things that – and again, in football practice, it's a lot more contact because they beat the crap out of each other. The, the idea is, is I could spread it to you, but y- y- there's no reason for you to think that I'm positive because I didn't go out. I didn't do Magic City. And, th- and that's the point of the Marlins. Okay. But the lesson of the Marlins is it doesn't take that. That's not how COVID works. COVID right. doesn't care. if It's not a punishment for partying. Right. Right. You know, if I agree. I'm on the Marlins and they, 18 guys have it now. I would have been like, why didn't we go out? Right. <laughs> right. Right. We should have got ahead and kicked it. <laughs> all, all we did was stand next to the guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I Part of me is I'm very, very uh, torn um, because the NFL says they have a, a plan. But Odell Beckham, if you're going to do that, opt out. You know what the financial ramification is if you opt out in the NFL? If you are deemed high risk, you make $350,000 that year. And if you are deemed not high risk and you just don't want to do it, you make $150,000. Odell Beckham's set to make $8 million this year. I'm just guessing. I I didn't look it up. Right, right. I got you. Put your money where your mouth is. I say okay. that to anybody who goes on Twitter and says the NFL is a bad plan because J.J. Watt does this all the time. He rips the league and put your money where your mouth is. If Odell Beckham doesn't think he should play, then opt out. And they have a Wednesday deadline, supposedly a Wednesday deadline. And one thing I think the players should do is make the league extend the deadline. Okay. Extend the deadline, like at least the end of next week. Like I, I would extend the deadline for opting out. What they're saying is the difference between baseball and football opting out is if you opt out in football, you can't come back. You can't. You're off the team. Now, in baseball, if you change your mind, you can come back. Nick Markakis of the Braves is back. Yeah, I'm not that big of a on the change of your mind thing, though. Um, If you're going to make the decision, make the decision. You know what I mean? It is stick with it. But 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 everybody has different mentalities. Did you? Is it possible you went Cespedes? The rumor was is that he had a performance uh, uh, clause, like he had to have a certain amount of at bats, and they were doing it proportion because he had a big bonus, and they weren't playing him every day because he's coming off a major foot injury. He missed all of last year, and so they gave him a day off. And he's mad that he's getting benched because one benching is the equivalent of like four games in this performance oh. bonus. And he's mad. He's mad, so he opted out. And there's people saying that. And that's where that caller who goes, he's hitting 158. If he's hitting 358 and the team is, is over 500, there's no way he opts out. And I yeah, don't I don't like, you know. But look at the standings. Look at, look at the – let's do baseball standing real quick because there's 10 games in for most teams. Most teams have played 10 games. Unless you've had postponements like the Philadelphia Phillies have played three games. <laughs> this is so messed up. Because they didn't play for a week. Right? 
Uh-huh. And Tigers Cardinals has been postponed today. But looking at the standings, let's just do the standings for one quick second. The Red Sox are three and seven. Oh, did we talk about the Red Sox? That was you weren't on. So the uh-huh. Boston Red Sox pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez, he had COVID, and now he has a heart condition. He's out oh, for yeah. the year. I saw that. I saw that. He's out for the year, and he was young and. I mean, you hope he's okay, but for all you people saying they're athletes, who cares? If you're the Kansas City Royals, they're three and seven. The Angels are three and seven. Uh, does COVID care about the National League? The Mets are three and seven. The Pittsburgh Pirates are two and seven. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are three and seven. If I'm on those teams, what am I doing? What are you doing? I get it. What are you doing? Opt out. Like, what are you doing? NFL's different. NFL's different. And I think the NFL did make a mistake in eliminating their preseason games. Because the preseason games, to me, is you had to practice traveling under COVID restrictions. I mean, you think they need to practice? You think that? No, no, no. Well, I think you have to practice everything. But it shouldn't be that week one, you only play 16 games. So, Week one should not be your trial and error day. So my argument is if you're going to suggest that we don't know how to travel with with protocols, you know, there's all this talk about if you're a close distance, uh, you should fly same day. There's talk about that. Don't stay in a hotel. And like, uh, for example, if the Jets play Miami, don't stay in a hotel. Fly that morning. Go right to the stadium. So you don't have to stay in like a. Oh, I got you. you don't okay. Stay in a hotel. Like that's that. one of the things being talked about. If you're the uh, Green Bay Packers, you and you're playing the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. That day. Okay. Now that might be hard in December to mm-hmm. execute, but let's see if we even get there. Okay. Um, and what I'm saying is, is those kinds of things are trial and error. I think it's worth trying. That's my point. Like that's to me. That's You're worth trying, trying before you get to the main part. Right. So. But have respect for your season. Like I would say, one preseason game, and everybody plays a geographic connection. So like the Chargers and the Rams play each other. The Jets uh, and the Giants play each other. Right. Like do do that. You know the Eagles play uh, Baltimore. Uh, Washington, D.C. plays Charlotte. The uh, right. Carolina Panthers. Carolina, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, like do it close. Everybody does close by. Just get, get used to it. And put these guys on. And I did this interview with uh, Sheldon. What the hell is his name? Hold on. I'm losing my brain. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. It's all right. It's okay. In my mind. I did this interview with this really good guy. McClendon. Okay. Steve McClendon. Okay. Of the Jets. And it was a Sports Illustrated Zoom thing. So we're on the Zoom with uh, McClendon, and he was saying, they said, what do you think of no preseason games? And he said, and I have his audio, and I could play it on the, on the show, but he said flat out, he said, I don't, I was an undrafted free agent. He was an undrafted free agent that's now in his eighth year. Like the exactly. guy made, and the guy's made millions. He was an undrafted free agent. 
who impressed his team when he was a rookie in preseason. In preseason, okay. And those guys will not get that chance. Like those guys, Steve McClendon said, those guys will not get that chance because there's no practice that can simulate that. Yeah, that's true. There's a justification to, if you're going ahead with it, play a preseason game. Yeah. Don't do this. I hear you. I wrote the article also. It got picked up. Uh, Hugh Douglas on Woody opt out. And he said, if I'm 22, I won't. But if I'm 28, I would. Remember that from Harsh? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote that this weekend, too. I, I don't know. I, again, if we're doing it, we're doing it. And, I, I, and by the way, I, I, we've been I, on the air for 48 minutes while we started um, a little late. So 38 minutes, and we haven't even okay. touched on college. Well, I mean, college, but the, the, the thing about college is I don't even know if there's much to really say except for it, it, it shouldn't even be a thought. I mean, it shouldn't even be a thought. Like, there's no, you know, <laughs> I don't know how else we could, like. It's, it's much more than a thought. You think, but, but it shouldn't be, though. I mean, they have no system right now that is even remotely anywhere near any of the systems that we're discussing right now. You know what I'm saying? That's why I said it shouldn't even be a thought, like even a possibility. And I'm looking at all these different people, you know, on, on social media saying, okay, we're dropping our kids off in school. You know what I mean? Dropping our kids off at university. I, I have friends dropping them off at Syracuse and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow. Yep. Uh, they, do you see the Syracuse had a, um, had a, uh, a welcome tent for, a tent. The, for the people who have to go because they're coming from out of state and you have to quarantine for 14 days? Oh, no, I didn't see a welcome tent for that. So, so, so this weekend, is, so this weekend is, 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 in essence, 14 days prior to when campus would be opening. Because remember, they're starting the semester a week early. And right. so um, students are being welcomed. Uh, the Orange, just, just, just for the update, they open fall practice on Thursday. Thursday. Uh, despite the season being delayed, normally traditional fall practice is 29 days before their first game. That's not happening. Uh, they were originally scheduled to open the season September 4th at Boston College, but no one knows because the ACC has not released their updated schedule. That includes Notre Dame. I don't know if you saw that. But Notre Dame is not going to be an independent because of COVID reasons. Um, and you're supposed to play 10 conference games plus one non-conference game. And Syracuse is leaning toward Liberty being that game. And Brent Axe, give it to your boy Brent Axe, he lambasted the orange in a yeah. column. Did you see that? I did see it. He I said, you can't play Liberty. You can't play Liberty under normal terms. If you have one non-conference game, it can't be Liberty. And you have I to agree. eat them finances. And if you know what money talks and how much revenue is being lost from all this stuff, they're not, they're not doing that. The team adds shoulder pads on days three and four and is allowed to dress in full pads and implement tackling drills starting on day five next week. There is no NCAA or ACC mandate on COVID-19 testing for athletes during the month of August when they will be exposed to contact for the first time since the pandemic began. Players started returning to campus back in early June. That's, it's ridiculous. 
That's all. And it's going to be a catastrophe. And uh, we're not singling out Syracuse. We're just, we're from there. Yeah, right. We have to always tell people that, you know. <laughs> right. We're not picking on them. It's just that's the school we pay attention to. And, right. And it accomplishes everything. Um, right. There's weekly testing requirements adopted by the ACC's medical advisory group beginning the week of SU's first game. First game? What? What? That's terrible. It's the only way you can say it. It's terrible. They did a really fun thing. Uh, do you know Scott McFarlane, NBC Washington? Yeah. Yeah. You know him? So yeah. he's a WAER uh, news guy, and he organized a, uh, a WAER trivia night on Zoom. And okay. 56 alums, all from the radio station. And so everyone's in broadcasting. And uh, it was really a who's who uh, of, of people, all kinds of reporters, all kinds of broadcasters. Play-by-play guys. Bill Roth was there, Virginia Tech. Um, Andrew Siciliano was there from NFL Network. It was really, really fun, and uh, it was really nice. They did it. It was for an hour, and you played this trivia game, and it was like Syracuse football and Syracuse basketball trivia. And I didn't know some of the questions, like which of the following athletes did not get drafted by the NBA, and it's like four guys that you you, you might know. I would. I didn't. I, I thought they all were. <laughs> like, Everybody, got, I got you. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Stuff about the 03, uh, a lot of stuff about 03. And I didn't watch 03 as much as I watched the 90s because I was working. Right, but, right. You know, I had a life. So, did you see what the Pac 12 uh, did? No. So, the Pac 12 has asked for, they're threatening a boycott if our list of demands is not addressed. This was. Oh, really? This was in The Athletic. A group of Pac-12 players threatened to sit out the season unless conference leaders continue, consider a list of their demands. Some of these demands are immediately practical, COVID-19 protections. Some are linked to issues school and the NCAA have been discussing frequently in years, name, image, likeness, rights, and transfers. Some are requests for a bigger share of money in terms of health insurance, larger revenue slice, and the players are making demands that have to do with uh, social justice, they're dealing with uh, payment of players and COVID-19. And the Pac-12 is saying they have at least one representative from every Pac-12 school is in this little group. Huh. Oh, huh. okay. That's interesting. Thought so. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's... it's... <sighs> I mean, I would love to get, and I actually put an um, a email out to some of the people in the NCAA because I want to be able to speak to someone in the office. It doesn't have to be Mark Emmerich. You know what I mean? I would love to be able to, if we had Mark Emmerich on the show, I would absolutely love that. But somebody there, then just ask them, what's the plan? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't want to say what the hell are you doing, but just let us know what the plan Couch is. Couch it a little better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I don't and I don't racial see. injustice here for, for here's here's the from the from the the list of demands number one form a permanent civic civic engagement joint task force of our leaders and experts of our choice and university and conference administrators to address outstanding issues such as racial injustice in college sports and in society two percent of conference revenue directed by players in partnership with conference to support financial aid for low-income black students. 
community initiatives, and development programs for college athletes on each campus, and form an annual Pac-12 Black College Athlete Summit with guaranteed representation of at least three athletes of your choice from every school. Wow. Oh, it was not willy-nilly. Like, this was not, this was a, this was a to-do. Goodness. Okay. And they announced it on the Players' Tribune. On the Players' Tribune? Yep. That's good stuff. I mean, that's, you know, that's players using their voices and their power and everything like that on all different levels. They did it, and they did it through the Players' Tribune, which they didn't get paid for. They did it, and not on social media, and they're organized. You you don't like you don't like the NFL social media. Um, Not when their union gets gets held over, like their union gets abused, and those NFL players get abused. And if I was with the, it, what I would love to see them do is I would love for the 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 NFL Players Association to say we have to take it take a bullet, and we're going to take a big bullet because the numbers are so high, but we have to walk. Because what the NFL does with the non-guaranteed and the, all that stuff that, that they don't help them when they, when they retire. And there's all these players that are dying and getting brain damage and all this stuff. The NFL players need to rally around each other. And they do nothing. They do nothing. Yeah, see, I can't, I can't agree with you on that one. Because I, I think that the, what I, and we should have some NFL players on to have this very discussion because what I am hearing from them is different than what you're describing. Not the fact is, is they're not doing anything is that they don't trust the union. They don't, there's a mistrust of the union and they don't feel that their voices are being heard because the system setup is different. And all the time when I speak to them, they say, listen, our system is not like how your system is. So our system, yes, is, we had that is, conversation. Yeah. So there, but there's a reason why you have that level of mistrust. So, so when even when we were talking before about the 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 players going through their social media is because they don't they don't feel that they have um, a vote in whatever the topic is. So they take to their social media. Do you know what I mean? And those I, players in their in their CBA, there were yeah. thousands of voters. And they mm-hmm. were separated by 60. And if they had spent more time having team meetings and getting more represented, re- representation and having a rookie faction that speaks to other rookies and doing things to help their union, they would not have ratified a crappy CBA. But there's the communication. We got to have this conversation with them because they, they know more. I would love to have an NFL you know, conversation and let them break it down. Um, because they and they keep repeating the same thing. They they don't have any trust in their union, no, flat but, out. But but that's the only way you get something done. I agree. I'm not saying I disagree with you. I understand that that's the the union is the way. But there's but there's more substance to more behind the disconnect of the players in the union, and they don't feel that the union. And I'm not speaking for everybody, but you know, they, they don't, a lot of them don't feel that the union. Um, puts forth their best interests. And that's a fundamental flaw. That's a fundamental flaw. Agree 100%. That's a fundamental flaw, and that's a problem because doing it on Twitter gets nothing done. Doing it on Twitter gets absolutely nothing done. I got you. And I'm sorry. I hate hate that fact, but it's a fact. No, I got you. I got you. you. It's bad. It's bad. Uh, What's your story with uh, your boy? Uh, let me 
Oh, I'm just chilling. Yeah, I got a. Um, I forgot I'm doing the stuff now. <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> you see that movie? Yeah, oh, you didn't see that movie. Tom Hanks. That's a good one. Good reference. Um, Let's see. I got. Uh, I, so so here's a guy. Um, I'm trying to get on the show. Yeah, hold on. And we would love to have you on our show to promote. So Joseph Ganascoli. Does that name ring a bell off the top of your head? Uh-uh. He was Vito in The Sopranos. Okay. Look, Joseph Ganascoli is a great dude, and uh, he connected. I, I've known him for like 10 years, and he made masks that have the Bada Bing logo on the mask. <laughs> and I'm in. I want one. I want one in the worst way. I will totally wear a Bada Bing. Like, that's better than getting a mask that says Sopranos. Like, that's, that, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's that, the, uh, you know, Bada Bing. Where'd you go? And I said, I wore my mask when I went to the Bada Bing. The Bada Bing. <laughs> it's not a real place. <laughs> but that's okay. All right, let's see. All right, I sent it to him. Okay, because I locked the door because of our lawyer friend that came in. Well, he, he, I'll have him join now. He came right on, so let me have him join now. Let's okay. see if it works. Let's see here. Yep. Okay. And boom. There he is. What's up, hey. Seth? Howard Beck. How you been, man? I have been such a long time. A uh, couple months or so. Since I've seen you? No, well, seen a lot longer. Oh, okay. I, I, Yeah. We, <laughs> we, we chatted for radio at some point in the last three months, didn't we? Yes, we did. <laughs> All right. How are Great. you, man? How? Tell me. What's going on with you? Um, What is going on? Are you safe? Uh, are you healthy? Is everything okay? Are you besieged healthy, by work? Healthy, good. Sanity mostly intact. Can you teach uh, second grade math? Well, now third grade math. Do you, do you <laughs> offer your teaching services? If I had to, in a pinch, possibly. You could, okay. Fortunately, my daughter's 14 and uh, to the point where her math and everything else is beyond anything that I can remember anymore. Oh, so, yeah. like, I'm so, it's like I said, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. You figure it out. I, I'm done. I, Tell me about it. Ago. <laughs> Thank Tell you for coming on, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> oh, there's, there's so much going on. I don't even know where to start with oh, you. I start. I, can I start then? Can I start? Hey, you start. There's so many different directions I want to take. Who do you blame more, the Mets or Yoannis Cespedes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a baseball guy, so I can. That's I can, okay. Uh, but 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 when you heard that a guy opted out for COVID but didn't have the decency to tell his teammates or tell his general manager, and they put out a release that says. We don't know where he is. I would say that's PR 101, and I don't care what sport you are. That sounds uh, uh, frighteningly like the Derrick Rose Knicks uh, fiasco from a few years ago. Oh, oh that's tough. Bro, you bring Derrick Rose with him. He disappeared for like 24 hours, eight times without letting anybody know. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. You're right. Yeah. No, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Somebody you know, so did. Derek did. Derek knew, right, right. So, so, so talking about, the, there's so many different, you know, aspects of what is going on right now, um, dealing with the NBA, dealing with the bubble, okay? And how, what is your view of how, 
players, coaches, um, everybody, first of all, are using this moment to bring to the world social activism. You know, because I'm reading a lot and a lot of people in mainstream America are very bothered by this. Um, you know, and it's, it, okay, I'm not gonna say I'm surprised, but I'm surprised to hear it this- surprised, right. Well, yeah, I'm surprised to hear it this much with basketball. You know what I mean? You, you expect a little bit with the NFL, you know, but, but when the players were taking a knee and everything like that, people were really upset. I mean, you know, to a whole different level, looking at the comment sections or looking at everything like that. Are you surprised by that reaction? So here's the thing, Aton. Like what I've seen on Twitter, like, tw- you know, like Twitter is unfortunately our very imperfect gauge for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to measure how the world is reacting to just about everything, right? right. Um, I, I don't know who, beyond a few uh, opportunists, political flamethrowers, the usual suspects who have weighed in on the NBA and kneeling and, and, and all the other various forms of demonstration and, and you know, uh, and, and, and activism that the NBA is engaged in. Beyond those usual suspects, when it comes to like just actual NBA fans, real NBA fans, mm-hmm. real sports fans, period. I don't know that I'm really seeing that much backlash. It may be out there and I'm not going to say that it isn't, but in in my own self-created bubble, which is, you know, the Twitter stream that I've curated, that the you, couple that thousand you follow, people, right? The people that yeah, you follow. The, right. right. I have not seen anybody really say this is wrong. I haven't seen anybody slam the NBA for this other than, again, the usual political opportunists right. and flamethrowers and people who make a living or at least attempt to by doing nothing but engaging in this kind of polarizing discussion where everything is, is um, you know, extrapolated to the extreme. Uh, I think by and large, the NBA audience, mm-hmm. which is an audience that skews younger, that skews more diverse, that certainly skews more progressive at any time in, in, in this era compared to some of the other leagues, that audience I think has been widely receptive. I, I don't like up until this point. Now, granted, again, I may be missing something, mm-hmm. but I don't think the average NBA fan has said, I can't believe they're kneeling. That's it. I'm turning my TV off. No, that's a good point. I mean, you know, you have to say Fox news aside and you have to say, yes. you know, like you said at first. So, Clay you know, Travis, I, I, Clay Travis right. probably doesn't like it. Right, right. So you, I, I see them because I, I, I do peek at them because I got to see what they're saying. But it, it's just, it, it's amazing to hear. But like I said, not surprising. Now, you wrote a good article um, that I actually reposted uh, last week. And the article is, Do Black Lives Matter to James Dolan? Now, we've discussed a lot of times on this show, you know, I grew up a diehard Knicks fan. That, that, that was my team. And so I've been living in agony for, you know, two decades, like all other, you know, New Yorkers and New York fans, because it's been pretty dark days. It's interesting, this entire, this entire ordeal with, with, with Dolan. And I can't quite put my finger on it. You know, all of the different teams immediately came out with, with, with different statements, immediately came out with, you know, it was, it was, it was something that they didn't need to be pushed to do. They didn't need to be forced to do. But then Dolan came out with something and he said, you know, well, we're not equipped to be able to speak on any of these topics. Then they came out with a statement that was felt like a real reluctantly given statement. They don't really want to do it, but okay, here, so just, 
everybody will leave us alone now. Here, here's our statement. I'll leave us alone. That's what I got from it. Uh, please let me know what your thoughts are. Yeah. So no, and, and thanks for the the, the plug and, and for for retweeting it as well, Aitan. The story uh, came from a, a or or was motivated by a number of things, not least of which, and I think it got overlooked a lot in, in the wake of it, is that Nick's employees themselves, and in particular black employees of the Garden, were really distraught, upset with the fact that the Garden was the only, and then the Knicks were the only team in the NBA that did not weigh in. Mm-hmm. And I understand, listen, that, that people might look at some of the statements that were made across the league by various teams, um, either all of them or some of them may look at them and say, well, you know what, they're, they're just doing this because they're trying to cover their butts or it's just for PR purposes or they're doing it to pander or to placate. And I don't dismiss any of that, Eitan. Mm-hmm. I think you and I probably would, would both look at this as, one, they're doing the right thing, but two, if they don't put up something else behind, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, you know, we're going to eventually judge them by their actions, not necessarily just by statements put out. Mm-hmm. But I think that putting out a statement at a time like this, when the whole country is engaged in this discussion really for the first time meaningfully, I think in my lifetime, at least at this level, every, everybody's attention is on these issues of police brutality, of racial justice. And when everybody is is finally grappling with this, or like at least most of the country feels like is, then the league that is 80% black in terms of the players mm-hmm. cannot turn a blind eye, cannot just say politics is for, is for somebody else. And I hesitate to even call it politics because this is social justice is not politics in the way that like tax policy is, although tax policy can be uh, linked to racial justice too. But like this is an important moment where everybody needs to be on the record. And especially if you own a team in the league that is 80% black to say we don't, my company doesn't engage in these discussions. It's not Mm -hmm. for us. We're a sports Mm -hmm. and entertainment company, which that was the memo that he sent to his employees. That was hugely upsetting to Nick's employees definitely just mm-hmm. to some Knicks players. And as I, in reporting that story, calling around the league, whether it was agents, whether it was ex- other executives, and especially black agents and black executives said, like, no, this is this is not acceptable. You, you have to support your players on this. It's not enough just to hire people or, you know, pay people or whatever. When you're talking about black executives, black coaches, black players, you have to support them at a moment like this. And I think that's the important distinction mm-hmm. um, that needed to be made. And, you know, I, I, I sent a, whole, a long list of questions to the garden saying, you know, does James Dolan believe in the black lives matter movement? Does he believe that police brutality is a problem right now? Does he believe that systemic racism is a problem? And they did not respond to any of that. And so I think that his, his, his stance on all these things is at best still ambiguous. But if he doesn't, and let's just for the sake of the arguments go on what you just said and he doesn't that's not a penalty there's no rule that says he has to and he could be the most hated guy but we've seen in sports there have been plenty of owners who are absolute jerks and absolutely despised and nick fans hate him already anyway so if he doesn't owe us an explanation and he doesn't have a social responsibility Adam Silver might because it, it'll help the sanctity of his league, but James Dolan doesn't care. And Kevin Durant showed you nobody wants to be a Nick anyway. So literally what, what difference does it make if James Dolan hates black people or not? 
Well, I'll be really clear here too, Seth, because I think that some people interpret that story in a certain way. And I think you've, you've actually extrapolated a bit there too. Nothing in my story suggested that James Dolan is racist. Right. I'm not suggest, I'm not suggesting that even in the least, I don't know what is in James Dolan's heart, as they say. What we do know is that he won't weigh in on this issue. What we do know is that he was uh, allergic basically to, to saying anything on this, despite the fact that a, a number of his employees and players wanted to hear something from the team. Now, is he obligated to weigh in? No, I suppose not. Um, certainly not legally. Um, I could argue that maybe morally he should. Uh-huh. I could argue that, again, in a league that is defined by black players and black culture, that you cannot be a, a, uh, a stakeholder in this league without at least being willing to listen and engage in these discussions, especially at a time like this. Um, but no, if he wants to stick his head in the sand and say, this is not for us, he can do that, but there'll be consequences for that potentially. And again, when I, in the story that I, that I wrote about this issue, a number of black agents and a black executive, a team executive who I spoke with all basically said, and I didn't even solicit this part of it, by the way, they veered the discussion this direction. Uh They brought up, they brought up that this will hurt him in, in the Nixon free agency. Now, to me, I didn't want to ask that question because I felt like it might trivialize or felt like it was would be trivializing the issue mm-hmm. of police brutality, systemic racism, like whether that hurts the Nixon free agency seems very trivial in comparison. So right. I did not ask that question to any of the folks I, I, I interviewed for that story. But they all ended up veering there because they were, in, in their view, as also longtime um, you know, executives or agents, people who worked in the league a long time, they know how people view the Knicks, how players view the Knicks. And they said, yes, this is going to add to the suspicion and the concerns about that franchise. So it, it may very well hurt them. It may well, it could potentially hurt them in hiring too, for that matter. Um, you know, I'm not going to suggest that it's things like this that prevented Masai Ujiri from entertaining the possibility of going there, but Masai Ujiri, very outspoken on any number of issues, including the current issues, and was somebody that we all knew the Knicks wanted to hire after they dismissed Steve Mills and instead of ever really pursuing him or waiting for him to become available, they hired Leon Rose. Um, but Tim, Tom I look Thibodeau at something like this didn't have think, a problem taking their money and our buddy, John Wallace gets paid for by them all the time. And he, he defends Dolan, Dolan to the hilt. I, all I'm saying is there's a line that has been drawn from James Dolan to Donald Sterling. And they're this far. I'm, I'm doing it for the for the camera, but they're this far apart. And what I'm asking both of you guys is, what's the line? What does? And it doesn't have to be James Dolan. It could be any owner. But an owner of a team have to do to get thrown out of the league. And the reason I'm bringing that up is, let's tie Woody Johnson into this. Woody Johnson made all these comments as the ambassador to uh, England for the United States. And he made anti-black comments. He made anti-woman comments. And everybody I've talked to says, there's going to be no penalty. There'll be nothing. He can do all that. And I'm like, why? Because they didn't get him on tape? It, it, didn't, it didn't make sense. So that's where I'm going with it. I wasn't taking anything and putting in something into your story. What I'm saying is, if, if James Dolan can, can not make a comment when the whole world is making comments, that's one level of bad thing to do but where's the where's the where's the the divide to what donald sterling did 
Okay, so let me hop in right before we go to you, Howard. I think they're apples and oranges. When you're talking about what Donald Sterling did, well, he was on tape specifically saying um, disparaging comments and racial epithets towards first Maggie Johnson and then entire black people as a whole. That's a little bit of a different level to um, James Dolan not making a comment um, during this time. But, but I, Woody I, Johnson, Woody Johnson's what are, comments are just as bad. So I can't speak for the NFL. The NFL is a different bird altogether. You know what I mean? But talking with the with the and so I think and you tell you correct me if you're I'm wrong with this. If Donald Sterling would have happened in the NFL, he'd still have his position. Great question. Agree or not? Yeah, I I don't know the NFL well enough to know. Um, but I, you know, Aton, you and I both know the NBA pretty well, right? right? And I think you know, in the NBA, he'd be in he'd be in serious trouble right. at, at this point. Never. But. Uh, but yeah, listen. We don't. We don't have to, to to bring this back to the Knicks and James Dolan. James Dolan did not say anything that we know of. Right. Um, that would again. That would indicate he's a racist. And right. my story did not imply he's a racist. Of it implied at minimum he he's he's tone deaf. He may be uncaring. He may be un, unempathetic. Right. Um. And unsympathetic on these issues. Um. But but that that is a far far cry from what Donald Sterling was right. and what Donald Sterling said and what was captured on tape and. Listen, it's hard to, you know, the, these guys are billionaires, most of them now, team owners. It, mm. is, it, is, it is really hard to hold a billionaire to account for almost anything. Hmm. And removing Donald Sterling from the league, you know, several years ago was no small feat and required uh, a lot of, you know, uh, you know, legal maneuverings and strategizing. That was not some simple thing. That was not a, a slam dunk, so to speak. That was, that was a difficult um task to take on and the league pulled it off with the help of Donald Sterling's uh, wife, it should be noted, because if not for Shelly Sterling, I don't know they could have pulled this off. That's a far cry from what we're talking about with James Dolan or, or the NBA. And, and again, yeah. it, it, there, the consequences for James Dolan being tone deaf or ignorant or unsympathetic on these issues remain to be seen. I believe that those consequences, if there are going to be any, will show up in how players in particular view the Knicks and whether or not they want to play for the Knicks. And I, and I, I definitely agree. And, you know, you wrote another article that I was actually a part of, um, you know, um, highlighting all the work that LeBron is doing. And I thought, I thought it was a great article. Um, but I want, I want to ask you a little bit about your opinion about um, an article that I wrote um, for the guardian where I said, you know, is, is um, the title of it was words aren't enough. Uh, sports team CEOs must use their influence to affect change. And in the article, I kind of challenged the CEOs of the, of the NBA, like Mark Cuban, um, you know, um, you know, just going down the list that I like the fact that everyone is using their voice and saying black lives matter. And, you know, the, the, the NBA TV commercial where, you know, you have the, you know, the CEO from the Boston and Mickey Harrison from Miami. And they're saying, I think it's all great, but I kind of challenged them to do a little bit more. And it's, it's, it's been interesting, the reactions that I've gotten uh, from that article. Um, some people just really didn't think of that before, you know, they're kind of, a little bit complacent, but we've been talking about this a lot on this show about specifically trying to bring about change, not just the facade of, of symbolism, which is great. Yeah. You know what I mean? But actual change. Um, do you think I was asking too much? No, no, Nathan, not, not at all. And, and it was a great piece. And I think it's the right piece. I think that, look, these things happen incrementally, right? Like we never see in, in this country 
um, whether it's civil rights, gay rights, anything, nothing happens all at once. And it never is as much as some of us would like to see any given moment in time. But what we see is incremental movement. What we see is that the bar for what's acceptable changes. Mm -hmm. And um, to see that, that a majority now of, of Americans, of white Americans, actually support Black Lives Matter. Now, granted, that could change tomorrow. Right. Uh, polls are, are just polls. Right. But that, those numbers were not there as recently as six months ago and certainly not five years ago or six years ago or when Trayvon, Trayvon Martin was killed right. or when Eric Garner was killed or any of these other incidents, the saying black lives matter was not embraced by white America, right. by, by, by most of America. And now it is, that has become the majority because of the events of the last six weeks. Uh -huh. And, and, and who knows how, how many other things have contributed to that change, but it's changed. Right. So, at a minimum, we should take some encouragement, some solace from the fact that that has changed. And so when it comes to the NBA, look, two months ago, three months ago, or, or let's say at the start of the pandemic, you know, and people who owned NBA teams were not going on, on video and saying Black Lives Matter. And now they yeah. are. True. And Black Lives Matter wasn't painted on an NBA court. And now it is. True. And players weren't going to be welcomed to, to, to kneel during the anthem without mm -hmm. some backlash and now they are right and so the the threshold the the bar the, you know, the bar has moved that that's healthy now symbolism is symbolism and actions are are, are something else but mm -hmm. there's a momentum here and the nba being fully supportive of it and helping to amplify that message and supporting its players and saying we're in this with you is important they have to put the the money, the resources, and the the the, the person power behind that. Eventually, there mm -hmm. needs to be more, mm -hmm. but the but the but the bar for what we what we will all as a public accept or expect has changed, and they're in the right place, and they're they're moving in the right direction, and I think that's all encouraging. So yes, of course, hold them to account, ask for more. That's one of the reasons, again, why I think it was important that NBA teams made statements, and why it was significant that the Knicks did not, because. Even if you might suspect motives, even if you think they're doing it just for PR purposes, mm -hmm. once they're on the record, then you can come back and say six months later, hey, listen, you said this. Right. What are you doing about it? Right. And I think it's it's part of holding them to account. I mean, that's, that's very well said. You know, I, I, and I have to ask you, you know, has have things changed at the Bleacher Report? Because, you know, before, as you said, six months earlier, there wasn't this level of consciousness. I'll just be honest with you. You know what I mean? Not the the, the, the level of the the. I mean, from your articles in particular, from other articles as well. Did you have that freedom to be able to touch on these issues, or was it a little bit more of let's just stick to sports and leave that part alone? Because there has, at least from from my perspective, there's been growth in that department as well, specifically at the Bleacher Report. Um. It's a great question, Aton. It's kind of hard for me to say because I'm I'm in my own little world here, my my little part of, of the operation. You know, it's uh, like a bubble, report, a, a, a bubble, you could say. <laughs> um, Bleach reports a, a a massive operation, right. and like 99 percent of that is is other things. It's it's right. viral content and social media and videos and all these other things. And then there's you know a handful of us doing journalism there. And we have always been, I can tell you in the seven years I've been there, mm. we've always been very supported to do the kinds of stories that we think are important beyond just the sport. We've never been told to stick to sports internally at mm -hmm. all. Yeah. And, and we have, you know, we, we had some really great uh, reporting 
on Kaepernick, uh, whatever, four years ago, I think, yeah. uh, when, when he when he kneeled and that that controversy first took off. We had a great piece, a really deeply reported piece by by Rembert Brown about Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. We had stories that kind of spanned all the sports, talking about um, that particular moment, which at that point was the flashpoint, and what were players comfortable doing or not doing. So it, I wouldn't say that we have made it a massive emphasis, and it's certainly not like say the undefeated, which is of course under the ESPN banner, where mm-hmm. the intersection of race and sport and society is is the whole point of of, of that platform, where they spend you know, most of their time discussing these things. Um, We don't have that and we don't have that kind of staffing either. Um, But we've always, we've never been dissuaded from writing about these things. And we've certainly at important moments like this been encouraged to, I had no problem at all selling them on wanting to do a story about how LeBron had made the NBA uh, more amenable to activism or made it safe for other NBA players to be uh, engaged in activism. I had no problem at all selling that story to my editors. I had no problem at all selling the, the Dolan story to my editors. And I don't think it was just because of the events of the last couple of months. Uh, they have always been you know, open to those, those stories as long as they have been grounded in, in the things that, that you know, I can see and report on around me in this league. And, you know, I, I, you know, and again, I, I don't stick to sports, but I do stick to the NBA. So mm-hmm. as much as the NBA has been engaged in these issues, it's always open an avenue for me to, to explore those issues through the lens of NBA players or NBA teams. Gotcha. Gotcha. Can I switch gears just a little bit? The, uh, the NBA lost a billion dollars. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong with the whole, uh, ramifications in China and the, the, the money that they lost was exponential. They now had to shut down a season where they were having relatively full arenas in, in most of their places, even without the greatest competitive balance in sports. And now they had to create this isolation bubble, which I'm sure is costing a fortune. I know they're partners with Disney, so I'm sure they got you know the the the, the, the discounted rate, but still, it's it, it looks enormous and it looks well done. Is the bubble sustainable? Well, let me ask that question. Then I have a follow. Is the bubble right. sustainable? And I heard one rumor that they could divide the bubble into two bubbles kind of like what hockey's doing for a regular season for that. If that, if the pandemic's not better and it's November, December, and we're ready to start the next season, we might have to do the same thing again. Is it sustainable without a tournament fashion where teams are getting eliminated every 10 days? All right. So there's a lot there, Seth. Let me just start with the current bubble. The current bubble, it's still early. It's still very early, right? We're, we're, you know, five days into the actual restart games, right? They've been there longer than that for training camp and, and quarantining and all that. But we're, we're very early on in terms of the actual competition part of this. So we got a long, long way to go. They got to finish out these seeding games and then all the playoffs and finals and, and, and all this is going to go till mid-October if all goes well. Um, th- all the epidemiologists, all the experts on public health policy, everybody says that the NBA did a really good job in terms of the uh, – the, the, the rules and, and the policies to set up this bubble that they believe it should be safe. It should work out. That said, there are some variables, including Disney employees who are coming and going, who are not necessarily being tested all the time and who yep. could be carriers of the virus. Those employees by rule should not be having inter- any close interactions with any of the NBA personnel, but anything's possible. So there's always a possible, this thing goes sideways. There's always possible. It's always possible that, that, um, Someone gets a false negative test, but is in fact a positive, you know, positive for carrying the virus. On the court, when he touches everybody, and 
players could leave the bubble, sneak out. Who knows? I mean, it, it's it's early for that too, right? Like, I don't expect any of them will. There's too much at stake. But it's early, and they're going to be there, some of them, a long time. So all of the, like, the anxiety, boredom, mental health concerns, that stuff has not set in yet because they haven't been sequestered for that long yet. Those, those issues, those challenges are, are still potentially to come. But I think the NBA can get to October and crown a champion and not have the virus be a major factor. I think that that is plausible, more than plausible. I think maybe even likely, but anything can happen. You- next season is a whole next season is a much more complicated question. Um, the reason the NBA had a huge advantage over baseball and football and, I, and the, the comparisons across the leagues are not entirely fair to those other sports. Agreed. They had to start from day one. All the NBA had to do, I say that, you know, with a big asterisk on the all, all they had to do, but mm-hmm. they just had to finish their season. They didn't have to start from day one of training camp and they go all the way through. So when you have a more, a, a finite, shorter span, you can create a bubble and say, guys, listen, at worst, you're here three months and the players can say, okay. And the, the right. That, and if you're there three fine. months, that means great things have happened. Right. Um, that that is it's one thing to sell the players and everybody else on that it's another thing entirely to say we are going to play an entire season 82 games plus playoffs in a bubble and you're not going to see your families that entire time which is what baseball um, said absolutely not baseball immediately of course. said no so, chance and as and understandably so Agreed. now baseball is a mess and baseball's uh their their setup clearly has not worked but that's that's the whole issue if the nba is going to restart again in december as they hope to with a new season the 2020-21 season in december there's only two ways that you can view this either the country's in a much better place with regard to the virus by then and everybody can be in their home markets and living at home and traveling as they normally would with you know, some risk, but, but less, um, or we're in the exact place as a country as we are right now, which frankly, as we sit here in early August, I, is there any reason for any of us to be optimistic that we're going to have this thing under control by December? Right. So if that's the case, if it's just as bad or potentially even worse in December, I don't know how the NBA pulls it off at all because the home market scenario I think is absolutely untenable. And, and baseball is the model uh, for that. And a, and a bubble for 82 games is there, is can't work. So okay. can you, you know, could you do multiple bubbles and could you have six weeks in the bubble, two weeks out to see family and friends, right. then return to the bubble, quarantine again, set it all back up again? I mean, that that would be one way to, to approach it. And maybe you, you condense the season. Maybe you're playing 60 games instead. Maybe you shorten the playoffs. I mean, there are ways you could try to structure it so that it's a, it's a little less onerous. But the bottom line is the only safe way to do it, if, as long as the pandemic has continued at this pace, is in a bubble of some sort. And I just don't know how you do that for an entire season. But what I, I, but the the second part of that, and you're right, it was a it was a, a, a an expansive question. But the second part of it, to me at least, is how sustainable is the NBA given all the losses and given the fact that and and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I've been told that 65 to 70 percent of league revenues are made from the playoffs and finals. There was never a consideration by Adam Silver to cancel the season and not try this bubble because they only played the first 60 percent of the of the of the of the season. And that's not their money making part. That, that, that doesn't help them. And that's what they needed desperately. So the NBA had no question about it. My, my question is, is that the longer this goes, is this league 
able to sustain itself. In that, could we see teams fold? Could we see owners try to sell? Could we see much more permanent ramifications other than the 1920 season was truncated and changed? Is this going to have a lasting effect? And I'm only asking about the one sport because I think every sport is isolated. And I think the NHL is making a lot of their money back. But the NBA, I don't know what the NBA is making back. And I know what the NBA's losses were back in September. So what, in your estimation, is the, 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 the long-term ramifications that the NBA sits that we could see a very different league that will not even resemble itself by the time this is all over? It's a fair question, and as you noted before, you know the China controversy cost them a lot too. I think I think Adam said that was in the four, remember it was four hundred million, but it was in the hundreds of millions. He said for the, the that they'd lost in their their China TV deal, um, and then with regard to to the pandemic and the canceled games, it's not clear exactly what the total losses will be. As I understand it, they are going to recoup between nine hundred million to a billion by having this season if they get through to the end and it's costing them 100 to 150 million to stage it so they're still coming out on the on the positive end but again they're coming out the positive end of what was already a loss so it's still a net negative because they still had to wipe out the the games earlier now um a lot of what the nba's uh cost is when we talk about nba's expenses the biggest expense is player salaries and the players, as part of their agreement to restart with the league, um, agreed to have a bunch of their salaries put in escrow. That's money that will probably go away. And the league. So point being, when the league has, has losses, just as the NBA's revenue is shared roughly 50-50 with the players, the losses will be shared roughly 50-52. So they can, def- they, can, they can reduce part of the hit there. Whether that gets to a point where it doesn't matter, there's just too much of a loss for certain teams to even – sustain or wait this out i don't know i mean listen everything could change at the drop of a hat if a uh, vaccine is developed by early next year and then of course master distributed mass uh uh you know produced mass distributed and everybody is back to normal by the middle of next year whatever normal is post covid then i'm sure the nba will have have weathered the storm they have, they have a ton of revenue sharing that they do. They have ways of sustaining teams in smaller markets that might be hurting more than others. I don't think we're going to come back to an NBA that is suddenly 26 teams instead of 30. Okay, but, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. But we'll see. You know, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, like a lot of things, this really isn't in the NBA's hands. Where the NBA ends up in all this is really more up to how we as a country deal with or don't this crisis and so far we've dealt with it terribly and let's all hope that uh events in the next six months will change that and um last question i want to keep you forever we could talk about this all day but i don't want to keep you forever sure. and we have book, so we're in no rush <laughs> right right but i just want to ask you as as a commissioner if you were you know comparing commissioners or maybe not even comparing just examining adam silver you know what grade would you give him on how he's handled um, the, the social activism piece, the coronavirus, the bubble, the everything, just as overall, you know, how would you evaluate him um, at this moment? It'll be the last question. 
props. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate it, Aton. Uh, listen, no, Adam, Adam gets high marks across the board there, obviously. Um, the league didn't have to go as far as it has in terms of embracing Black Lives Matter and giving the players a platform and using the broadcast, allowing the, the kneeling at the anthem with the league not having any issue with that, allowing the referees, it, 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 again, like the players can do whatever they want to a certain extent. Sure, you, you can find guys, discipline them, whatever. Referees are direct league employees. So right. the referees could have been directed not to, but the league has fully embraced this moment and the importance of it and recognized it. So they get high marks there. They get high marks on putting together this bubble that, again, so far so good, looks like it should last. Mm-hmm. And I think they get high marks on, on how they've handled all this. Now, I could pick apart little things along the way if mm-hmm. I wanted to be nitpicky, but it, it's 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 not worth it. At a moment like this where the issues are this large, I think it's it's hard to find fault with anything – the NBA has done at the, at the broadest level. They have put themselves in a position to be able to complete their season, to complete it safely, to uh, recoup as much of the money as they can, to do it in a way that feels, you know, okay in the moment. I'm not going to say it's great. I mean, listen, there, there is no, there are no good ways to do this. It's hard to um, decide to stage all these basketball games and go to the lengths that they're going to and uh, acquire the thousands and thousands of, of virus uh, of coronavirus tests yeah. when you when you know that a lot of people can't get them or can't get them in a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. The optics of that are difficult. And on some level, I could make this, the case that they shouldn't be playing at all. That nothing should be that 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 nothing of that nature should be going on right now until we get a handle on this, and that everybody's efforts should be going toward um, testing the general population and doing everything possible to to you know make our society functioning and safe and that basketball is is a luxury we can't afford right now that said they have a business to run they've chosen to do it in the best way that they can Mm -hmm. and so far so good and again kudos to the nba last week they announced that they were committing i can't remember how much money or how many tests but they're they're going to help provide tests to the public so um you know it's 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 high marks across the board for the nba and adam silver right now I definitely agree. And this is from coming from somebody who wrote an open letter to Adam Silver, you know, urging him not to start the season. But I have to give um, definitely kudos to the way that he has handled it across the board. So, Howard Beck, thanks again for coming on. Please keep writing and doing the things that you're doing because we need that kind of voice. Voice. Yes, keep, keep it going. So thanks again. Stay safe. And thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it, man. No, thanks, fellas. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, you too, Eitan. Uh, I appreciate all you do. Seth, thank you. Uh, great chatting with you guys. And um, my phone battery actually managed to hold up through the entire interview, so that was great. Very impressive. We, we, we didn't see that coming. Right. I have a bit of a, a throwback kind of phone here, a little ancient. So uh, it's uh, it, it runs down pretty quick, but we, we, uh, we did all right. all good all good well thank you thanks fellas we'll speak to you soon all right take care yeah there you go howard beck and knows how to leave knows how to leave that was good uh cbw says uh noon playoff hockey is so good yes it's great it's great it's great just keep it going just love it love it uh we're gonna by the way how much fun did you have during the watch party I thought it was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought I thought it was great. We had a great time. And we 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 talked about a whole lot of different stuff. You as you saw, we but that but honestly, that was how like me and me and Quest 
we were roommates. So that's how we would talk all the time. No, no, and, no. But, but it, and, it was comfortable and it was, we watched it, but the game was, like we weren't hanging on every basket. Oh, no, 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 I get it. But, but, but no, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is like when we were in school, so we would say, say Damone would come over to my room or Ryan Blackwell or Jason Hart or something like that. And we'd be watching the game, but we'd be talking. You know what I mean? So that's kind of like how it was, like a replica of that. So you saw as it was going, we got real comfortable. And we was just those like, guys were staying, and I was just like – and I didn't text you, and I was just like, I'm just going to let this ride out. But I thought they were going to leave. Nah, everybody, we was – we, we, it was like old times again. We were just sitting around with, watching the game really and fun. just talking. No, it was really fun. I'm, I'm really glad you did it, and it was really cool. He was uh, very interesting. Um the stuff that he had to say about the long-term sustainability mm-hmm. it, it fascinates me because I'd yeah. love to see how this is all going to change. Cause we keep saying, you know, the NBA is in an interesting place because they have deep pockets yeah. and they've had great revenues. So I have to take the same stance that, with the NBA owners that I did with the baseball owners, for example, when they were crying poverty, I mean, they were literally crying poverty, and I was saying, come on, just look yeah. at 2019, 2018, 2017, right, 2017, right, right. how far back you want to go. Like, that was my yeah. argument. And in this situation, what I wonder is, and he mentioned revenue sharing, but if you take the crowds out of it, but if you take it one step further and have to keep those bubbles sustained, mm-hmm. you're, you're basically making, you know, 80 cents on the dollar. And with yeah. revenue sharing, that's you're making forty cents on the dollar. That's crazy. I, I just it's not sustainable. And there's yeah. no law that says there has to be NBA basketball. There's no law that says there has to be NFL football. But I I don't know, and I don't know how you do I it. Agree. You can't have Adam Silver come out of the end of this year and go, "Well, we learned something here, and as long as COVID's here, we can't. You know, we have to be isolated." Because you and I agree with that, but that's expensive. Right. It is. A little pricey. No, I agree. I, I definitely agree. <laughs> a little pricey. You know what I mean? So I definitely and and the, the point of how much revenue they lost from China. I don't think people really understand the the magnitude of, of China. And you know, I, I I interviewed um Adam Silver and I asked him about it, and that's one of the things where you know, I really got to give him props for this because he could have gone a different direction. He could and have ripped Daryl Morey to shreds. Oh, but that's what China wanted him to do. He never that's said, he said specifically, you know, to do this. But he said, and I asked him, I said, because honestly, and this is what I, what I told him during the interview. I said, honestly, when I first saw it and saw how Daryl Morey did the tweet and it was right before the players went there and everything like that, I was one of the people who were like, wait a minute, maybe you should punish Daryl Morey. He put them in jeopardy. He put their safety because they're going to China. And China is not a place where you could just speak freely about the government. It's a different system. So, but he said, you know, well, had I had done that, then I would have been looked at as a hypocrite because I, I wouldn't be across the board of being, um, you know, uh, supportive of anyone's free speech. And I was like, ah, see, Yep, that, that, and so I ended the interview having more respect for him than I did when I began the interview because that's that's the truth. Now it would have been economic economically beneficial to him to punish Daryl Morey. 
No, no. And just to clarify, if you're if, in the chat room, they're saying so. Mori is bad now. No, no, not at all. No, 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 not, not, not at all. What he was saying, we all agree with. But what it did was, Adam Silver could have towed the company line, and could have said, Daryl Mori, that's inappropriate. China's our partner here. You're out of here. And he could have suspended him. He could have fired him. He could have done a million things. And he right. would have saved the NBA a close to a billion dollars. Right, 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 right. You know, and it's not about, it wasn't even about. It was never a right or wrong. It was never about right or wrong. That, that was to the side. It was it was a business deal. Right. So from a business standpoint and what the NBA from a business standpoint had with China and China said, if you do not do this, you know what I mean? And which which was publicly lambast Daryl Morey and, and punish him and we want him out of the league. That's what China um, demanded. That's what they demanded him do. Not suggested, not politely just say if you want to. They demanded that he do that. So he said, and, and his response was, no, if I did that, I would be. So it wasn't about the topic. And that's the part that, you know, so, but, but as far as the topic, everybody agrees with what Daryl Moore said. Everybody, yeah, was, everybody agrees. It was, it was, uh, it was, yeah, 100% true. But it was the way that it affected the business deal or the business side of the NBA and China agreement and their business ties. It cost them a fortune. And, a fortune. and that, oh, yeah. was the, that was something the NBA was worried about before anybody ever heard of COVID-19. COVID-19, yeah. Adam, Silver, Adam Silver could literally say this is the worst year of his tenure before all this. And then it became this. And, and and it's very interesting to hear people say about the bubble that the bubble is just a, you know, don't get used to it because it's, it's too expensive for long term. And right, right, right. what everybody says, and Howard Beck alluded to this, is as soon as these play-in games are over, they are literally, they're going to promise you, they are going to suggest that, those teams, as soon as you're eliminated, you're out. Leave mm -hmm. the bubble. Mm -hmm. I agree. No, and we're not blaming you, my man. He he was watching the Ranger game. It's 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 okay. The problem no, you were okay. doing is you chose the Rangers. <laughs> that's my hated rival. <laughs> Winnipeg Calgary. Hey, I'll put Winnipeg Calgary on this goddamn channel. I, I don't mind that. I just <laughs> not the Rangers. Whoa. Rangers. <laughs> there was a great tweet. There was a great tweet. Uh, during this whole pan, uh, the bubble, um, and I and I retweeted it. So if I look at my tweets, I'll I'll see it. But it was really fun. Ah, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers official social media account said, per sources, for the first time in Flyers history, no one yelled "shoot" from the crowd during our power play. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> that's great, right? Like that's that's really good. I like that made me laugh. Like that's great. I thought that was very fun. And then what I tweeted was So I I got Wait, hold on. I said tweet of the day, very funny. Still can't uh -huh. stand the Flyers go Devils. And a guy wrote back and said, "I hate your Devils as much as you hate my Flyers." And I said, "Yep, and that's what I love about sports." <laughs> love it. Continue. That's good. No, you That's great. Ask me. Oh no! So so over the weekend, this was Sunday. Um, you know, I opened my my Twitter right, and I saw this regular little little post. It didn't even have a you know a whole lot of likes or anything like that, or a little tweet and stuff like that. And it was of this tomato, 
right? Oh, so I the tomato. Who does it look like? I right. So I said, "Am I tripping, or does this tomato look like Larry Bird?" Larry Bird. And then yeah, I, I it looked like Larry Bird. Yeah, yeah I saw it. It does look like Larry Bird. And, and that was it. You know what I mean? I tweet a million things all the time, all this different stuff about politics and about stuff that's going on. But I saw this, I was like, "Huh, I thought this was interesting." And then, I, and then I left. Right. So I come back later that day, and that tweet went viral. Like literally three thousand retweets. So, yeah. Like it, so, I was like, "Wow, all of that for this little tweet." So, <laughs> I guess there was a lot of other people who who saw that and were saying that it looked like Larry Bird as well. So today, I'm looking at you know on USA Today, people are sending me um, articles that they mentioned my tweet in with a collection of other tweets from like USA Today, like you know what I mean, like Fox yeah. News. Like all of these, where they have my tweet in there, Fox News, yes, put my tweet in there saying, you know, that I said that this looked like Larry Bird's a lot with a collection. And it's just so interesting to me what goes viral sometimes. I know. I know. I thought that that tweet would have gotten any attention at all whatsoever. You know what I mean? Totally. It's just Um, funny. One of my favorite Twitter stories, uh, and it's going to sound name droppy. Um, mm-hmm. this is probably 10 years ago, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. wow, 10 years. Cause I joined Twitter in 09, but in 2010, uh, my second child was one and a half and we had the Ravels over. So Darren uh, Ravel, you know, Darren Ravel, um, uh, Darren Ravel, sports business guy used to be at ESPN. Uh, uh-huh. D- Darren Ravel has, I want to say 5 million. Let, let, let me, let me get it. Let me get his social. Uh... Yeah, he has two million followers. Two Good million man. people follow. Hey, two million people following you. <laughs> two million people, and he didn't have two million people ten years ago, but he uh, was in it, and he was doing very, very well with Twitter. And okay. He came over Fair. because our wives went to. Quick Darren Ravel story is our wives went to college together at Syracuse, uh, and uh, he's a Northwestern graduate, and he and I drove up to the Carrier Dome to watch Syracuse play Northwestern in foot in football. And okay. it's the rivalry to nobody but the broadcasters. Okay. The, the, the Medill School of Journalism in, in Northwestern, anybody west of the Mississippi says that's the best communication school in the country. And anybody east of the Mississippi knows the Newhouse School is the best communication school in the country. Of course, not even close. And Tim Kirkjian from ESPN, whose daughter at the time was at Syracuse, comes up to the Carrier Dome to me mm-hmm. and Darren Ravel and a bunch of other guys and says, this is literally the blowhard bowl. <laughs> He's like, this is a rivalry to nobody but the broadcasters, but they're so vocal, this is what it's going to be. So th- right. that, that's my friendship with D- Darren Ravel. Right. Darren Ravel, and I asked him, and I said, what's the secret to Twitter? Because I was okay. brand new. I was brand new. And yeah. he said, make sure your tweets are 60 to 70% personality and 30 set, 30% promotional. He said, because then people will follow you for your personality and they'll see what you're promoting. Ah, okay. I got you. That so makes don't sense. make every tweet, you know, I'm on this radio station and this thing and this podcast and this thing, this, this, you know, and he, so, so, he, and I wasn't doing anything personality wise. I was just using Twitter to say, I'm on the radio here. I'm on the radio there doing TV here. You know, that, that was literally it. That kind of stuff, right. Okay. So, Whitney Houston had died. Oh wow! Okay. Okay, and Whitney Houston, you you want to talk about viral, right? This is viral. Of course. So Whitney Houston had died, 
and her funeral was in Newark, New Jersey, which is okay. literally a stone's throw from where I live. Right. Okay. I live Newark. right by Newark. Right. Oh. So it was a big local story in addition to a big global story with mm-hmm. Houston's funeral. Uh-huh. It was a Saturday afternoon, and we had set up a play date for the kids. So Darren Ravel's sitting on my couch, and we're talking. We're watching the, the Whitney Houston, and we're watching the local reports of the Whitney Houston funeral, like the traffic impl- implications and all these different things. It's a much different perspective. We were watching it from a hometown standpoint. Whitney Houston's from Newark, New Jersey, or she's from East Orange, and uh, that's like 11 minutes from here. Okay. Anyway, Bobby Brown walked out of the funeral this is a documented thing this is not i'm not making this up he didn't like where he was sitting and so he stormed out of the building and left his daughter alone during the mother's funeral oh wow jesus that's a scumbag move bobby brown right like that's a scumbag move yeah and i thought it was awful so i said this is my chance i can i can say something personality on twitter and i wrote as a father, what Bobby Brown did is reprehensible, and that you, you stand by your kid. And remember, it was only 140 characters back then, so you right. had to be really, really quick. Real brief. And so I did it in two tweets. And my second tweet was, in order to properly punish Bobby Brown today, I am officially deleting my prerogative off my iPhone. Okay. 7,000 retweets. That went viral. Thousands upon thousands of retweets because I deleted my prerogative. Like, I referenced my prerogative, and they thought it was funny. And that, not anything I worked on, not the part about me being a father, just that I was deleting my prerogative off my iPhone, that got, that went viral. And I was like, what in the world? Right. That's interesting. That that is yeah that's that that's how Twitter works sometimes. Listen, I have no, I know Twitter can be a cesspool, but I love it. I I love it, and I I've, I've gotten some. Great you love it. You said, but I love it. What? Dude, I was just laughing. You said, but you love it. I love it. I love. It. I've had nothing but positive experiences with social media. I yeah. mean, I, I I I I met Prince because of social media. But uh, you still don't do Instagram though. No, I do it. I don't know how to do it. I wrote uh, that post, though, on it. I wrote okay. the post on it. I, I said something nice. Okay. Jim says, I'm guessing my prerogative is a song. <laughs> Come on, Jim. Everybody's talking <laughs> all the stuff about me. It's a classic song. <laughs> of course. Of course. And it was just and it was just like you had to do that. You had to say that. And I, I don't know. I met great friends because of social media. When my uh, best friend was killed, I will. I, I loved social media. It was right. soothing to come to social media, to hear yeah. strangers coming up to me going, hey, man, that sucks. And it was so cool. It was so nice to hear from people. I didn't know who they were, and I wasn't trying to know who they were, and I didn't follow them back. And I, I just I, I thanked probably every person. It took me mm-hmm. weeks, but I did. And I, 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 love so, I love social media. And I know mm-hmm. it can be a cesspool for people. No, but it can be, it can also be, you know, it, it, it's, there's positives and negatives with social media. And, you know, sometimes the positives outweigh the negatives. And you just have to, you know, I think, I think sometimes with Twitter, where Twitter is a little bit different than Facebook and a little bit different than Instagram. 
Because in Twitter, you get the people who are only there to say venomous like things to people. Like you don't get that as much with Facebook. You know what I mean? Yeah, so no. that part's a little bit different. Facebook, I just like because it, it, you keep in touch with people. Yeah. I remember when you put in your high school, this was 10 years ago also, but when mm. you put in your high school and it tells you all the people that you went to school with. Isn't that cool? That was so awesome. I thought that was cool. <laughs> it was so much fun. I found all those people. Hey, and... Yeah, we sat together in history class. Right. Like that, you. like that. Yeah. He says, I haven't played uh, Bobby Brown songs lately here. That's okay. Bobby Brown has great songs. He's a yeah. scumbag, but he has great songs. He's a scumbag. <laughs> Bobby Brown, what? Tenderoni? Yeah, Tenderoni. Yeah. Every Little Step, that's a great song. Yeah. They had a lot of drama with that new edition. When he, I don't know if you saw the new edition uh, movie that they made. It was like on like, um, he, no, but they had, it was nonstop drama. You're like, goodness gracious, Bobby. Like, you're just causing all kind of problems in the group. He was the person who was causing all the problems he in the group. Mess. Yeah, he was a mess. That was yeah. one of the, uh, that was the, um, the uh, uh, trivia questions for the basketball trivia. It was um, uh, compare these people. And it was a singer in New Edition, uh, NBA player, and there was one other example. And the answer was Gil. So you had to connect Kendall Gill, Johnny Gill, and you had to realize that there was a guy from all of them. And like th those were gotcha. the, those were the, the kinds of questions. All right, that's fun. Yeah, it was fun. fun. It was it was super fun. And it was just neat to see all these different people from all walks of life, all different years. Like Rich Samini, uh Syracuse graduate. I think he's class of eighty two. Like mm -hmm. he's with all us, you know, and we think we're the young guys, and then there's guys on class of like twenty eleven and we're like I know. You're like twenty eleven. That's your class. <laughs> what are these? What are these dudes doing? Like, no, no way, no, no chance. Um, give me your TV update, and then we'll go. So it's funny because after you, I, okay, so I started watching with the big. We call it the big two, but the older two, Malcolm and Imani. Uh, we started watching Twenty Four. Oh. Oh, that's and they an investment. Love that's going to be an investment. You're going to oh, be doing that for a week. They love it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is great. I'm like, all right, I'm getting sleepy now. I'm, I'm ready to go to sleep. We're, we're going to have to stop watching this now. She's like, no, we got to watch it. I was like, no, we'll watch it tomorrow. I am tired. Funny. So that one has been going good. And it's funny because after you brought it up, you know, then my um, Imani and uh, Baby Sierra, they turned on Moesha. And they oh, were just. Of course. Through. And they, I was what? I was like, oh, <laughs> Uh, but it was, I mean, it's its a cool show for girls their age. You know what I mean? It, it's cool. But I thought that was funny right after you said it. I was like, well, we, uh, no, the, um, uh, <laughs> but you have to watch, uh, you have to see Upload. You will love it. You would Upload. absolutely love it. Upload. It's 10 episodes on Amazon Prime. It's really, really quick. They're all half hours. And it basically takes place in the future. So it's a future of everything. Like uh, you told me about that one, and you and you upload yourself to virtual reality, and ah, it's great. It, it's it's great. The show that I've been having to watch, and it's so weird because I haven't binged anything right. in a long time because it took me three months to watch Ozark, and right. <laughs> I have two left of thirteen reasons, and I'm glad you made me stick through it. It's good, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, it, it's it's good, the but out. I just finished the walkout. Yeah, the walkout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Clay realizes he was the perpetrator for all of the stuff. Oh, yep. my God. Isn't it good? 
spoilers. Um, it's a good show. And then, but anyway, I'm interviewing a cast member from the show for my Hall of Justice podcast uh, from the new show, The Umbrella Academy. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> it's so good. Is and good? season two is better than season one. Season one, I liked. Season two, I love. And uh, I've had to watch them all by Wednesday. So I've been watching them back to back to back to back to back to back. Hey, so I got a show for you. The why I'm telling you, if you introduce your girls to this, they're going to watch it straight through. Okay. It's called No Good Nick. No Good Nick. No Good Nick. And it's on, it's on, um, it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. No Good Nick. So it had, you remember, you remember the, you remember the young cat from um, Goonies? Remember the main character from Goonies? What's his name? Ah, he's from, you remember, the, you remember the movie Goonies? You I don't remember the no, but you, you know, all right, well, he was the main character there. So now he's grown up and he's the father. And then you remember Clarissa? Right, there we go. And you remember Clarissa from the Clarissa Explains It All? I mean, I know that it exists. I've never seen okay. it. Okay, well, she's the, she's the mother. And then they have the daughter. And the, and the, the it's it's a good show. It's, it's, I was, I was like, okay, Monty, this was a good one. Like, I, I'm Oh, that's Melissa it. Joan Hart. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. She follows me on Twitter. Oh, okay. I don't know what Yeah, no, we liked Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah, no good Nick. I'm telling you, that's a good one. I enjoyed it. All right. I'll check it out. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But Umbrella Academy is, um, it's twisted, but it's dark and it's, it's good. And, um, uh, it's like a, it's like a spinoff of the X-Men, but it's not in the same world. It's just, it's just these six people who have these abilities and they're really random abilities. And the one girl, Allison, she's uh, African-American and her power is if she says the words, I heard a rumor, she can make you do anything. Really? Okay. She'll, 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 out of nowhere, they'll be in a big scene and she'll just go, I heard a rumor and you put your hand on that stove and she can make you do it. And that's her power. And she's like a socialite. She's, um, you know, she's like a, she's into social media in the first season. Uh-huh. And I, I'm not explaining how it happens, but they wind up in the 60s. They have, they, they go through time. They, they, it's, it's, there's a big plot in, right. in the world. They save the world, but they go back in time. And now they're in the 60s. And she meets a guy who's involved in the social, uh, like the walk out, walkouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, or walk-ins rather, uh, you know, to get uh, black people serve, and she yeah. just finds her calling, and she uh-huh. wants to do it. And now they can get back to 2019, and they and it's very ironic that they're trying to get back to 2019 because if they were getting back to 2020, I would say stay in the 60s. Stay in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they and she doesn't want to go, and it's really, really good. It's really interesting. Umbrella Academy, and uh, I, yeah, I had to do, and for so- yeah. So have you seen have you seen Jessica Jones? Oh, so that's what I thought of when you said, remember the first season where the guy can make oh, you do stuff? Yes. Uh, yeah. I thought of when you, I was going to say like uh, that. Well, and I did a podcast about Jessica Jones that I stand by as one of the best ones I ever did. It's a good one. So this woman from the Huffington Post wrote mm-hmm. an article when Jessica Jones came out that said the showrunner or a consultant on that team, on that show, had to be an actual rape victim, because oh. the PTSD oh. yeah. is yeah. so authentic 
There's right. no way you can know all those things. Right. And I saw that and I said, that's a podcast. I said, because that's that's an adult conversation about the superhero genre. Like I that podcast means a lot to me. And it's it, mm-hmm. it's not a joke. Like we don't do who would win in a fight, Superman or the Hulk. Like, I don't that's not. That's yeah, not no, what I do with that. That's a deeper one there. And I, and I had this woman on, and she was amazing. And I love Jessica Jones. And I think Jessica Jones, season one of Jessica Jones, is arguably in the top three of the best things Marvel has done. Okay. It's, it's good. Like, she It's so good. And I, she's I, amazing. I, Kristen Ritter. Yeah. And that is the greatest non-pornographic sex scene when she and Luke Cage. Holy so, moly. Right. That's like, they, they literally, they're two super-powered people going at it. That was crazy. Going at it. And I mean, she was on, because she was on Breaking Bad. And, um, she was on Breaking Bad. She dies. She died, yeah. Spoilers. And, Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was I remember I saw that. I was like, oh, come on now. Christina You're not going to die. She's stunning, but she plays that character perfect. Yeah, she's perfect. good. She's oh, good. So, and Daredevil's great. Uh, Luke Cage was great. Iron mm-hmm. Fist was eh, but all the all of those shows, and yeah. then they all met up in the Defenders, and I thought that right. was awesome. Yeah, was this is good. This is good stuff. The rumor is is that Matt Murdock is going to uh-huh. be uh, Spider Man's lawyer because if you saw Spider Man Far From Home, uh, he gets outed, and okay. he gets arrested. Okay, okay. At the end of Spider Man, so he's going to mm-hmm. need a, a lawyer. Right. Matt Murdock should be his lawyer. That's pretty cool. That's a way to get Daredevil into into the Marvel. Movie. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that would be. All right, that's what's up. Yeah, we always need to leave time for that stuff. Yeah, that's we good. Always, good, yeah. good combo. <laughs> very, very good. All right. Um, yes, and we're gonna figure out when we're next tomorrow at one o'clock. And if he's watching, it's actually happening this time tomorrow at one o'clock. <laughs> Jay Mariotti. <laughs> Because <laughs> last week it didn't happen, but this time we promise you it's happening. Uh, Jay Mariotti is going to sit in for a ton tomorrow, and uh, we're going to rock and roll at one o'clock right here on Twitch. Plus, we're going to do another watch party this week for baseball. Uh, Slim Jim Phantom uh, wants to come on, and he is bringing guys from Pearl Jam. How about that? So, That's Pearl Jam is cool. going to hang out and watch some random baseball game with us. So, Lots of fun things happening. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you follow the channel if you're watching this for the first time. We will see you tomorrow at 1 right here on Twitch.